0: So how have you been finding your reading through the Bible thing? Have you been enjoying that? Excellent. So, hey, if you're new with us, you can start this week with us. Just pick one of these up in the lobby. It's got a list of everything to read every day. So together we go through the Bible and we're done in a year. It's pretty cool. I want to start off this morning's lesson with a well-known passage of scriptures. It comes from Mark 12. Here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law of God asked Yeshua, Jesus... Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is not news to most of you. This is a very well-known passage of Scripture. The most important thing we can do is love God. But loving God has an aspect to it that we don't often hear taught. There are positives, of course, to loving God, but there are negatives. There are negatives for not loving God, and there are actually negatives for loving God. Did I hear that right, Steve? Negatives? Yeah, you'll understand what I mean in a moment. Maybe I didn't say it right, but we're going to have to look at some of the negatives before the positives. First, the negatives of not loving God. Then the negatives of loving God. And then the positives of loving God. And I think by the time I'm done, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You read this this week. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord There's a lot of people who are very confused about this passage of Scripture. I think only confused because they don't understand the holiness of God and how seriously God takes people disrespecting Him. Why were they killed? Well, it says they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Part of the confusion comes from that word unauthorized. The Hebrew word is a bit confusing. It's only confusing because, like a lot of English words, they can mean different things in different contexts. Well, Hebrew is the same way too. And sometimes when they come to a passage of Scripture, they're like, what aspect of that word is it supposed to mean here? Uh, The New International Version uses the English word unauthorized. But the New King James, profane. And those aren't even close to the same. And then the King James, strange. So is it unauthorized fire? Is it strange fire? Is it profane fire? The Hebrew word um, Zara can mean a foreigner. It can mean adultery. It can mean strange. It can mean profane. So you see when somebody translates this into English, they're like, what exactly am I supposed to be writing here? I think it'd be fair to say that the offering of Nadab and Abihu was profane, strange, and unauthorized. So you can take all the meanings, and it fits. Even the word adultery fits. Well, how could that be, Steve, an adulterous fi- Well, listen, in the Bible, when people turn their backs from God, God's considered the spouse. And when you go away from God and worship other gods, throughout the Scripture, that's called adultery. So the idea of turning your back on God and pursuing another religion, another God, is considered spiritual adultery. So the implication is that they were forsaking God here. So it kind of fits in. What did they do? They offered an offering in the presence of God himself that God specifically forbade. It's not just like, oh, they were ignorant and they made a mistake. Listen, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to his command. They knew it was wrong. They did it anyway. Right up in God's face. I mean, these were priests. They ministered right in the holy place. God's presence was on the other side of that curtain. Right there. And they just took it upon themselves to say, God, we know what you said. We don't care. This is the religion the way we want it to be. And so they offered up this strange incense fire to the Lord, and fire came out and destroyed them. It's interesting how God will often use the things that people sin with as a punishment for their sin. Remember that time back in the wilderness where children of Israel were griping because they didn't like the food God gave them? We're sick of manna. and God's raining heaven's food on them, and they're, they're whining. We want some meat. So God gave them some meat. he he gave them so many quails it was like three feet deep and they ate quail morning, noon and night till it was coming out of their nostrils the Bible says they got sick of it God will often give people what they want as a way of teaching people a lesson that is really not as good as we think they offered contrary to the command Exodus 30 verse 9 says this about the incense altar you shall not offer strange incense on it but they did And they suffered the consequences. We don't have a king. But in those cultures where there are monarchs, you have to be very careful what you say to a monarch or do to a monarch or in front of a monarch. In fact, our reading this week in Ecclesiastes gave us a warning about dealing with monarchs. Well, since we don't have monarchs, let's say dealing with powerful, dangerous people. Listen to what it said. Do what the king says. And don't make any rash promises to God. The king can do anything he likes. So depart from his presence. Don't stay in such a dangerous place. The king acts with authority and no one can challenge what he does. As long as you obey his his commands, you're safe. A wise person knows how and when to do it. You know, you think, oh, I'd like to know the king. I'd like to hang out with him. I don't want to hang out with any dangerous people because they could just have a bad hair day and say, kill him. you're dead. Or throw them in prison, and you're in prison. You just, you don't want to hang out with dangerous people. You want to show some deference, some respect, and some healthy fear in the presence of dangerous people. Well, if you treat a king that way, shouldn't you treat God that way? Should you give God less respect? Nadab and Abihu specifically, intentionally disrespected God right to his face, right in his presence, and they got what they deserved. When all is said and done, they did not love God with all their hearts. Through their behavior, we know that they despised God. The number one commandment out of the ten is to love God. Well, it doesn't put it that way, but it means that. It puts it this way. I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods. Now, you might have learned it before me. But that's before means in his presence. And since God is everywhere, he's basically saying, I'm going to be your only God. You shall have no other gods but me, would be a better way of translating it in modern English. God is to be number one in our life. God, that's the very first commandment. So not loving him can have some serious consequences. But as I told you, loving God can also have some serious consequences, some negative consequences. Here's exactly what I mean. Aaron had the holy oil put on him, and he was doing his ministry in the tabernacle, the place of worship. In the same time frame that Nadab and Abihu, his sons were judged and executed. Now, your dad, Aaron, your sons are now dead right before you. What do you do? Well, you want to mourn them, right? In that culture, you you take the dead bodies, you you wrap them up, you bring them to a place of burial, you hold a, a time of mourning and grief, you pull your hair, you tear your clothes. Moses said to Aaron and his sons, remember, this is the dad of the ones that were killed and the brothers of those that were killed. Don't let your hair become unkempt. Don't tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the house of Israel, may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Don't leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses commanded. Here's what I mean by loving God can have negative consequences. Because Aaron was the high priest, there were certain things that he was not allowed to do at certain times. For example, he couldn't tear his clothes. He was the high priest. You don't tear the high priestly garments. That's a sin. He was wearing them. Can't tear them. He was serving God at that moment. He couldn't let his hair become all messed up. He was wearing the holy mitre. A high priest is not allowed to go near dead bodies at all. He can't even be in the same room with them. It would defile him. So, he can't go near the dead bodies. He can't mess his hair. He can't tear his clothes. Basically, he was being denied the opportunity to grieve his own sons. Why? Because he was serving God. And as high priest... That type of service, you can't just stop it. It's, it's important. It's for the whole community. It's holy. You can't stop for anything. The show must go on. Not even for grieving your children. Not even for grieving your children. That's how important it was. Now, Aaron could have said, I love you, God, but I love my kids more. I'm out of here. But he didn't. Because he loved God more. And sometimes loving God more results in pain, like that instance. You know, the Bible clearly taught that the role of the priest was special, and they weren't always allowed to do what regular people could do. Listen, Leviticus 21, 10 through 12. The high priest, the one among his brothers who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and has been ordained to wear the priestly garments must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body, and he must not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother. He may not leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it because he has been dedicated by the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord. Since Aaron loved his sons, Aaron also loved God. Usually, we don't have to choose between God and people. We don't have to put one over the other on a day-to-day basis. But there are times when we have to make a choice, like Aaron did here. You honor God in your service and do what he says, or you don't and you go grieve your sons the way you want to. Fortunately, Aaron loved God more, was obedient, and he was, he was comforted knowing that even though he himself couldn't mourn his sons, the right way in their culture, the whole community was going to mourn his sons. So people often ask, like at a funeral, how many people were there? They figure, you know, if a lot of people were there, it's a thing of respect and honor, and that makes you feel good. If few people show up, it's disrespectful, and it makes you feel bad. It's always what people ask. How many people were there? How many people are going to mourn my son? Oh, about six million. Okay, I'm good. It's going to be the biggest funeral Israel ever had. So he was mollified. There are instances today when people have to choose. Now, when I read to you at the beginning of the lesson, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your probably first statement was, of course. But this is where the rubber meets the road. It's not always easy to love God first, to put him first in your life. Sometimes it's hard. That's when it really counts. And that's when you really know if you're honoring God when it hurts to honor him. You know, families are a gift from God. I love my family. It is the greatest gift I have next to the salvation of my soul. And it's close. Because love is that wonderful. I, I, just, I love my family. I'm thankful for them. They're a gift from God. But we make a mistake if we love the gift more than the gift giver. This week, we read these words of Jesus. If anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now we're beginning to understand what that means. It's serious business to walk with God. You know, that wasn't the only place I read to you from Matthew 16, because you read that this week. Um, But that's not the only time he said that. Several chapters previously in Matthew 10... He said the exact same thing, but he threw a context in there that ties to today's lesson. He talks about family. Listen, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. At times, following God is hard. We um, Love is a good thing. Selfless love. Loving people more than you love yourself, God wants you to do that. So loving your family with every fiber of your being is a godly thing. But not over God. Then it becomes an ungodly thing. Um, people love their pets. I mean, they love their pets like their children. It's crazy. People love their animals. And, and it's not crazy... Really, because it just, it, it's an expression of what God has given humanity. He's given us love. And we not only pour it out on people, we even pour it out on, our, on animals. Well, that's a, actually a good thing, in my opinion. Except for sometimes people love their animals too much. In an unhealthy way. More than once, I've seen news reports like this. Fire burns down apartment. Father rushes in, saves poodle. Neighbors say, but where are the kids? More than once, they've gone in to get their pets. They were more concerned about their pets than they were their kids. Loving God is good, but sometimes it's hard and has negative consequences. That is, it can hurt. That's what I mean by that. Even though following God can be hard, not following God is harder still. So it's a matter of degree. The best life we can possibly have is the life that follows God. It's not going to be a pain-free life. There's no such thing as a pain-free life, but it's going to be the best life. And the decision to put God above even family is the best decision. Case in point, I've met many people. In my circumstances, they're often Jewish. But whatever world you're in, it could, this could be Muslims, this could be Catholics, whatever. Jewish people I have met who say they believe in Jesus, but they don't want to follow him. Why? Because it would break my mother's heart. My grandfather will turn over in his grave. My family would be disgusted with me, and they'll reject me. What they're saying is, I love my family more than I love God. I'd rather have the respect of my family than the respect of God. That's what they're saying. They don't know they're saying that, but that's exactly what they're saying. Now, listen, here's what I would say. My dad comes up to me and says, it's either me or Jesus. I'd say, Dad, you know, I love you with all my heart. And I would never make a choice like that. But if you have to make that choice, you go ahead. I'll take you both. If you don't want to have anything to do with me, that's on you. I love you. That's how I would handle it. Oh, yeah, I'm going with God. No question about it. But it's not because of me. It's because of you. You're making the decision, not me. So don't be pushing it off on me. But if it's got to come down to it, God's first. God is always first. Now, the Jewish friends I was telling you about, there's nothing they can do for their family. What I mean by that is they they don't walk with Jesus, then they can't teach their family about Jesus, can't get them to follow Jesus and get them all into heaven together when they die. But if he gives his life to Jesus, then he can start praying for his family, working on his family, and maybe one by one they'll come to Jesus And their lives will get better, and they'll all end up in heaven together. So following God, even with the threat of the family rejecting you, is still the better course, because now there's hope that the rest of the family can get redeemed. But if you know Him, and you refuse to follow Him, you're leaving your family without hope. You're being doubly stupid and selfish. Love has got to be tough at times. The best decision sometimes is to swat your child's bottom. Oh, I, I love him too much to hurt him. No, you don't love them enough. Because if you're going to let them disobey you and disrespect you like that, they're going to grow up to be difficult, nasty people, if they make it that far, because they don't listen to you. They just might run out into the middle of the street. And when you say, stop, don't go, they're, they're accustomed to not listening to you. They'll keep going. Love sometimes has to be tough. So I told you there were negatives. There are also positives. I want to talk more about the positives now. God's ways make for the best life possible on this planet. The rewards are amazing in this life and in the life to come. So I want to share with you the letter P three times, three Ps, to help you understand what God gives those who love him with all their hearts, those who follow him now. Peace, plans, and promises. And I'll explain each one of those, and then we'll be done. When we follow God, we get extra peace. Peace. Now, I didn't know this when people were sharing Jesus with me for the first time, and I went through my process of wrestling. Do I believe? Do I don't believe? Do I want to follow him? Don't want to follow him? When I finally made the f- decision to follow Jesus, I said a prayer, and I told him, okay, I've been wrestling with this, so you know. Uh, God, I believe now. I believe in Jesus, and I want to follow him and turn from my sins and walk with you. Immediately, I had this amazing sense of peace. I had this huge weight lifted off my chest. And I just felt peace. I felt different. It was an amazing thing. Nobody told me, hey, Steve, when you come to believe in Jesus, you're going to feel peace. And then I talked myself into feeling it. That wasn't it. I prayed to God, and I had this overwhelming sense of peace. It wasn't until afterwards that I realized the Scriptures promised peace to those who walk with God. Now, peace. It's a funny thing, because in this planet, there's no such thing as permanent peace. I mean, you're not going to get peace from sunrise to sunset every day, all the time. I wish you did, but we still have sin to contend with. But you're going to get a lot more peace as a follower of God than you did before you were a follower of God. Big time, by the way. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament say the same thing. Isaiah 26, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And looking at this verse, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Ah, that's my problem. When I take my mind off the Lord, that's when the peace wavers. Kind of like Peter, he wanted to walk on the water, Jesus had come. So he goes walking on the water, and then he saw a big wave, and he all of a sudden just freaked because he saw the big wave. He took his mind off of Jesus, and he started to sink. He lost his peace, then he lost his place. <laughs> And I do the same thing. I, I guess I could have peace 24-7, sun up to sundown, if I kept my mind on the Lord. But I don't. I hit stupid panic zone first. And then I have to struggle with, oh, do I trust God to get me through this? And or do I not? Am I going to accept his will even if I don't like it? I have to go through all that too. And then when I finally realize, duh, that's what you signed up for and God knows best. And even if it's uncomfortable now, it's gonna be good later. Trust Him, then the peace comes back. So don't make my mistake, just trust Him. So much better. So that was the Old Testament, Philippians, New Testament. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. Then because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way you think and feel. Peace in Christ. Christ himself, listen to what he said. I give you peace. The kind of peace that only I can give. It's not like the peace this world can give. So don't be worried or afraid. Now I've been walking with God for many years. Almost to the point where I've forgotten what life was like without him. I've forgotten how much peace and order and sanity he gave into my life from what it was beforehand. The older people are when they come to the Lord, usually the more they understand because they've lived their life of chaos. They've had their misery, their suffering, their hopelessness extended over many years. Then they come to Jesus and there's like no going back. And I guess the younger you are, the harder it is to understand because if you come to Christ as a 10-year-old and you never had the misery that the world has to give, you don't understand the peace you enjoy now in comparison to what you had. Just praise God you don't know because it's much better to not know pain than to know it and then get away from it. So, three Ps. The first one is peace. The second is a plan. A plan for your life. It's just like the prophet Jeremiah said to Israel. The same concept applies to us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. And a future. God gives us peace and he has a plan for our life, especially for our future. Good future. God grants abundant life. You know that Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's why he came. To give us life and that more abundantly. We had life before Jesus, but we have abundant life in Jesus. And eternal life in Jesus so we get his peace when we love God with all our hearts we get his plan for us the plan to prosper us and bless us and we get this amazing promise probably my favorite promise passage in the Bible comes from Revelation chapter 21 I heard a loud voice shout from the throne God's home is now with his people He will live with them, and they will be his own. Yes, God will make his home among his people, and he will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, suffering, crying, or pain. These things of the past are gone forever. Then the one sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write it down. Write down what I've said. My words are true and they can be trusted. The promise we get is of a perfect life, pain free. Jesus himself is going to wipe away the very last tear you will ever shed. Can you imagine a life with no sorrow? I can't. I can't imagine it. From what I was told, from the moment I was born, I was crying. I've been crying ever since. You realize when babies are, I don't know if they still do this. I don't think they did it with my children, but it used to, when a baby came out, first thing they did is spank them. Smack them right on the butt. As soon as they're born, welcome to America. Whack! And that's the first of many. They didn't say that. But they did spank them. And it wasn't to punish them. It was to get their blood pumping and their lungs pumping and get them screaming so that they could be healthy and strong. They had to hurt them to help their health. Welcome to the United States of America. Welcome to this world. That's the way it is in this world. But that's not the way it's going to be in the next world. No pain, no sorrow. Even so come Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So, just to summarize, two men were slain by God for despising him in their actions. They did not love him. Their family, Aaron and his sons, did love him, but they weren't allowed to grieve properly and it caused them some discomfort. Loving God isn't always easy. Sadly today, we see people who love their families and other things more than they love God. So the first and foremost and greatest of all commandments is to love God first, and most people don't. I don't know, do you? That's the question I want you to have answered in your heart before we part. If you're not sure, I'd recommend you say a prayer, something like this. It could be your own prayer, but God, I've believed in you, but I don't know that I've really, really loved you with all my heart, that you've been number one in my life. I've put my mom there, or my spouse there, or my kids there, my job there. I've put me there, but I don't want to do that anymore. I want to put you there. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would accept me and help me to walk with you fully and completely. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. It's in his name I pray. Amen. You say a prayer like that, you're good to go. And I would encourage you to. But if you're not ready to say that prayer, then I would encourage you to analyze yourself and ask why. Just... just just go home and think on it. Why don't I want to follow God? What is it that's keeping me from wanting to follow God? What's better? Because that's that's the question. What's better? And you should come up with an answer or not be able to come up with an answer.